you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. These were the sad words spoken by the prophet Samuel to King Saul, the first Saul, the first king of Israel. As Samuel left Saul in Gilgal in a pitiful situation. The situation was horrible. The Philistines had amassed an enormous army. The Israelites had 600 men. The Philistines not only had a huge army, but they have chariots that are, that are reinforced with iron and they have weapons of iron. The Israelites have pitchforks and goat prodders. The Philistines are on the high ground, on the top of, of huge cliffs. The, the Israelites are hiding in caves and in crags inside rocks, in graves and in tombs. The situation was horrible for the Israelites, except they had the Lord. They had the Lord. They had the Lord who just recently before that won a huge victory over the Ammonites while the Israelites hardly participated in that battle. Who not long before that reduced Gideon's army down to, six, or to 300 people so that the Lord could show himself to be the true victor and the true fighter for Israel. And who not long before that the Lord the Lord tumbled the walls of Jericho while the Israelites stood and watched it happen. And not long before that, the Lord single-handedly destroyed the Egyptian army so that the Israelites could go free and be freed from slavery. That was the Lord. But King Saul wasn't willing to wait for the Lord. And so last week in chapter 13, we saw that King Saul, he, he went ahead of the Lord and he decided he wasn't going to wait. You see, maybe the Lord wanted King Saul's army to go from 600 down to 300 so he could have his Gideon moment. Or maybe he wanted to bring his, his army down to nothing so Saul could just watch the Lord work and make the victory happen on his own. But he wasn't willing to wait for the Lord. And maybe we say, well, God, it's a little harsh that you totally took the king, kingdom away from his dynasty so none of his descendants could ever be king. It's not really fair, Lord. But listen, this is a critical moment of faith for the Israelites. They're watching the king. Will their king determine that God really is strong enough to fight the battle or will he lose faith and say, no, I don't know if God can do it. And they're all watching, waiting to see what he will do. And, and just before this, the end of chapter 12, we hear these words coming from Samuel to Israel. He says, only fear the Lord. Don't fear anybody else. Just only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. 
as the king goes, so goes the country. And the Lord was not going to have that for his people. He was not going to let them go the way of Saul. And so now as we step into chapter 14, we read about the great faith of Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's son. He, he is a man of strength, a man of faith, and he's contrasted with his father. Jonathan is presented as, as a man who believes. You see, Jonathan is, is ready for battle because he's trusting in God. And so, so we ask the question, you know, how is this difference? We, we just see a man of fear in Saul and a man of faith in Jonathan. Jonathan is going to act like the king even though he's not the king. And through all this, we are supposed to feel the grief that Jonathan will never get the chance to be king because his father has sinned against the Lord and the kingship was taken away from his dynasty. So we should feel that. These next three chapters and even more, Jonathan is presented as this, this amazing man of faith who is doing all kinds of kingly things and truly could have led the people to Israel. And our hearts break because he doesn't get the chance to do that. And Israel suffers as a result of that as well. So let's begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So, so clearly Jonathan is tired of waiting tired of the wait. His father, the king, isn't doing anything. This situation is horrible, but his father isn't doing anything about it. And so Jonathan decides to go rogue. He's going to go out on his own, and he's not even going to tell his father about it. So he comes out from the, the leadership of his father, the leadership of his commander, the leadership of his king, and he steps out and goes ahead. But wait a minute. Last week, Saul went ahead and he was punished for it. Today we're going to see Jonathan moving ahead and he's blessed for it. Why? What's going on? Why, why is this happening? Well, it's because, because Saul moved ahead out of fear. He wasn't willing to wait for God. He couldn't wait for God and out of fear he moved ahead. But today we'll see Jonathan move ahead in faith because he knows God will do the work. The difference is fear and faith. Jonathan is presented as a great man of faith, and one of the reasons he's so great is because he was much more concerned about God's fame, God's renown, God's reputation than his own. And his father was all about his own reputation, which we'll see repeated over and over and over. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go check out what's happening over in the Philistine garrison. Let's see what God is going to do. But we still don't know what he's going to do when he gets there. Meanwhile, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. Do you get, get this? I love that the author put this in here. Jonathan, stepping out, let's go. Let's go to the Philistine, Philistine garrison. Meanwhile, Saul's back eating pomegranates under a tree. What's going on here? Saul, you're the king, get, get moving, get to work, what's going on? Saul, don't you hear the calling? Don't you see the situation? Let me just take another bite of pomegranate. So, so why is Saul stuck? 
Why is he stuck here? Why can't he move? Why is he immobilized? It may be because he's still reeling from the announcement that the kingship will be taken away from his family line. Maybe he's afraid that God really isn't strong enough to face this mighty, mighty army of the Philistines. Maybe he's afraid of public opinion. What will the people think of me? What if I go to battle and I lose? What will they think of me? Then my reputation gets, gets tarnished, and that's what it was all about, reputation. He was so concerned about his reputation. And what's so sad about this is that he missed a wonderful opportunity. You know, he could have had a Gideon moment. He could have, God could have brought his army down from 300, 600 to 300 or to 100 and had his own Gideon moment. He could have had his own Jericho moment. He could have been written in the, in the, the Bible as one of the heroes of the faith and one of the good kings of Israel. Instead of the coward he turned out to be because of the choices that he made. But in trying to protect himself, he became immobile and indecisive and he couldn't move, so much so that his own son saw how ridiculous it was that he decided to make a kingly move himself. And now, this is going to talk about the people who are with Saul. And the people who were with Saul were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. So who is with Saul? 600 people, 600 scared people. And they were scared because Saul's fear was contagious. And so you have, he's got 600 men who are scared, not knowing what to do because their leader doesn't know what to do. And then the rest of the Israelite army had gone into hiding, some, as I said, in rocks and caves. Some fled actually as far as crossing the Jordan River so that they couldn't be conscripted into the battle. And then some also defected into the Philistine army. Well, look at this, the Philistines are gonna win. We'll go over there, we'll go fight for them. So you have this whole group of defectors. They were all a part of the people that, that is described in this passage. Also with, with uh, Saul is Ahijah. Ahijah, and you notice the detail that's given. He's the son of Ahitub. He's Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, who was the son of Eli, who was the priest of the Lord at Shiloh. Why is all of that in there? Well. Do you remember back in chapter two when Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were destroying worship in Israel? They were abusing the people that came to worship. They were forcing the women into immoral acts with them, and they were stealing the sacrifices that belonged to God. And because Eli, their father, wouldn't do anything about it, the Lord said, you and your family line have been removed from the priestly line. You can no longer be priests. And so here we are a few generations later, what's Ahijah doing here? Why is Saul fraternizing with Ahijah, a rejected priest? Well, what happened to Samuel? Samuel was just with Saul. Samuel confronted Saul about his sin and Saul didn't repent over his sin, and so now there's this rift between Saul and Samuel, and that represents 
Samuel's relationship with God. There's, there's a rift between him and God. He didn't repent of his sin. And so there's a broken fellowship between him and God. And so since Samuel isn't there and isn't telling him what he really needs to hear, he goes to somebody else who's gonna tell him what he wants to hear. Oh, I'll go to Ahijah. He's a priest. Yeah, yeah, I know about his, his great-grandfather, his grandfather. I, it doesn't matter. I'm just gonna use Ahijah. Believer, it is so easy to do that, you know? When, when we get to a point where, where we have unrepentant sin in our hearts or something we don't wanna listen to the Lord about, we start to turn the volume down on the godly counsel. And as we turn the volume down on that, the volume on ungodly counsel goes up like this. That's what was happening with Saul here. I had a friend, a friend who, who entered into an adulterous relationship. And he, he had a number of Christian brothers around him who just really, really encouraged him and urged him and pressed him, stay faithful to your wife. Repent of that sin, get rid of, get rid of her, stick with the marriage that God wants you to have. Well, he got tired of hearing that and turned the volume down. And as that volume's going down, well, he started to hear other, other news other counsel that was saying, you know, God just wants you to be happy. You know, she's not really the same woman she was 25 years ago. And, you know, after all, it's really, it's almost like emotional abandonment. You, you hardly have a relationship anyway. And as that's going up, the godly counsel completely shuts down. It's blocked off. He doesn't want to hear it. It's so easy to do it. Here's the thing. See, we've been talking and we see through 1 Samuel over and over and over, God wants our whole heart. And here's why. Because the part of our heart that isn't God's is gonna be listening to other voices. And those other voices are going to get louder. And so Saul is in this situation. He has silenced Samuel. He's turned up Ahijah, the rejected priest. What a situation. Think of this. Scared Saul, a panicking, pitiful army of 600 people, and a rejected priest giving advice. It's a bad situation. No good is going to come out of this. So let's go back to Jonathan. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. They didn't know. So this little phrase in here I think is super important because it tells us something about Jonathan's mode of operating here. You see, he wasn't looking for attention. He wasn't looking for glory. He doesn't care about his reputation. If he did, he would have said, I'm sick of my dad. He's not doing anything. Follow me. We'll go into battle. Instead, you can kind of picture what happens here. You know, he's, he's on his army cot at night thinking about this. It just doesn't make sense. We've got God on our side. Yeah, they're big. They're strong. They got iron. We got God on our side. This just doesn't make sense. Wakes up in the morning and he says to his armor bearer, hey Joe, I got this idea that we go over and we check the garrison over there. Let's go check their fort out and see what's going on. What do you think? Yeah, I'm in. Let's go do it. You see, Jonathan made no public display about this because he was more interested in God's reputation and protecting God's reputation than he was in his own. And so that's, that's Jonathan, that's Jonathan. Now the author gives us a description of the terrain, which is really some important 
information here. It says, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistine garrisons, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. So Bozes and Senna mean slippery or shiny on one side and thorny on the other. Those don't sound like very pleasant places to, to have to navigate. Slippery and thorny. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash and the other on the south opposite Geba. And we actually know where this is. Let's take a look at this. So here is Michmash. This is where the Philistines are encamped. There's the pass over there. They're watching. The Philistines are watching for the Israelites to come out to them or very soon they will go out and march out to destroy the 600-man army of, of the Israelites. But here we have Bozes and Senna right here. And let's get the close-up now. And you're going to see this is it. Can you imagine Jonathan? Jonathan doesn't go through the pass. Instead, what he does is he and his armor bearer climb down one side and climb up the other side in order to get to the Philistine encampment. It's beautiful, and don't you love seeing that? It's like, oh, this is real stuff, and it is. The Bible is real, it really takes place. And here it is, and we can see what he went through in order to get to the camp. And so, so then we read on, we pick up in verse six. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. So it's kind of funny, this, this comment. Let's, let's go over to these uncircumcised. Uh, some of the versions you have out there say, let's go see these uncircumcised fellows. Funny language to our ears, right? Well, like, we don't talk about that very much. But the th this is super important because what Jonathan is saying is, is they're uncircumcised. They don't have the sign of the covenant. You see, circumcision was the sign that God had made a covenant with me and my people. And every day a man was reminded of that covenant that, oh wait, I'm one of God's people. I belong to him. And so Jonathan here is saying, you know what? We're God's people, they're not. They might have a big army and lots of equipment. We have God. We have God on our side. It's God who will protect us. It's God who will fight this victory for us. It's God who's looking out for us. God's in control. They don't have this God. And we are the covenant people. We're called to protect the reputation of God. And Jonathan's ready to do it. And then he says, perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save many or few. So you see, Jonathan's really honest here. He says, God's on our side. We've, we've got God on our side. And he's not gonna be hindered by many or few. It doesn't matter if we have 600, 300, or 30,000 people. God will do what he wants to do. Well, Christian, do you ever feel afraid? Do you ever feel like, man, the darkness is too dark. My light is too small. I don't have enough reinforcements. I don't, I don't have enough strength to face what I have to face. We're living in a world that's so evil. You're covenant people. You have God on your side. What more do you need? Yeah, the darkness is strong. Yeah, evil is, evil is horrible. 
You've got God, God, you're a covenant people of God and you're a covenant people of God because of faith. See, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, something amazing happens. We lose our citizenship in this world and we become citizens in heaven. So now we're no longer living in this world, I'm sorry, we're no longer living for this world, we're living for God. And when we live for God and we are his covenant people and we understand our citizenship is with him, well, this world is meaningless to us. You know, I, I picture it like this. You know, Jesus Christ is this rock. We're on the rock. And, and then the wind of affliction comes and we shudder. And the wind of persecution comes and we go, oh, it's scary. People, were on the rock. The rock doesn't shudder. Jesus Christ is the rock. We belong to him. We are grounded. We have nothing to fear. How many times have I shied away from saying the thing I should have said when when untruth comes out like they know? When I know the truth of God's word and I keep my mouth shut. Why? Because I'm afraid of the breeze. Come on, God's on my side. What am I doing? Why am I wasting my time with nonsense? Man, if we could grab a hold of this, if we could grab a hold of this, how it would change how we act. You know, Saul couldn't see what Jonathan saw, or at least he chose not to see. Saul saw the circumstances. Jonathan saw God. Saul saw a huge army. Jonathan saw God. Saul saw possible defeat and his own inadequacies and lack of resources. Jonathan saw God. Saul saw impossibility and John saw God who with, with whom all things are possible. See, the situation wasn't different for one or the other. They were both in the same exact situation, but they were both looking at different things. And again, Jonathan's honesty just really strikes me. It, it reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when King Nebuchadnezzar said, you must bow down and worship me or you will go into the fiery furnace. And they said, throw us in. God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna worship you. And Jonathan's doing that here. He's saying, you know, the Lord can save us. It doesn't matter if we have one guy. The Lord can save us, but if he chooses not to, he chooses not to. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am, with you according to your desire. You know, this could be a sermon because older believer, just like Saul's fear was contagious, Jonathan's faith is contagious. Saul's fear frightened an entire army. Jonathan's faith boosts and strengthens and encourages the one man who saw it. His armor bearer was a younger believer who saw Jonathan's faith and said, yeah, let's go do this. You've got this, Jonathan. God's got us. I'm on your side. And, and older believer, the younger generation is looking at us. I used to be on the other end. This is, bothers me a little bit. As I'm, I used to be, you know, older believer, we're looking at you. No, 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 I'm not. It's the other way around now, right? But they're looking at us 
And they want to see an act of faith. When you act out in faith, they're looking and saying, yeah, I want to be like her. Yes, I want my faith to look like his. And when we don't, they fear and say, is this whole Christian thing even, even really real? Is it worth it? They're not even living the way they say they should. Oh, believers, let's give them something to watch for. Let the younger generation look at us and say, yes, I'm following you because you're going the direction that's right. Oh, may it be. Let's give them something worth following. So then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. I don't know what Jonathan thought they would do if this whole Philistine army came over to him, but he said, we'll just stand here. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, behold, Hebrews are coming out of the halls where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll tell you something. We'll teach, come up to us, we'll teach you a lesson. We'll give you something to think about. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and you saw why he had to climb up on his hands and feet, with his armor bearer behind him, and they fell. They is the Philistines. They fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half a furrow in an acre of land. Some of your versions will say about a half an acre. Here's the point of this. The Bible is so honest with us. You know, a book of fiction, a a book of folklore would have said Jonathan went in there with his armor bearer and he slew 30,000 men with one sword. Oh, he didn't. He slew 20 guys in, in, you know, maybe this big of an area, right? He slew 20 guys, but he slew 20 guys. It's a good victory, but watch out. Watch what God is going to do. Watch what God is going to do. God is gonna show his power. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling. So Jonathan shows a little faith, a little faith, And God says, that's what I'm waiting for. Now watch me do it. Watch me do the work. You know, I I picture Jonathan here like, okay, come on, armor bearer. All right, we just got 20 down. There's 30,000 more to go. I don't know how we'll do it, but we'll keep going. And God says, relax, I got this. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for knowing that I will do this work for you. And God steps in and does the work. And it's amazing because, you know, the Israelites had no weapons. Well, two weapons, Jonathan's sword and and Saul's sword. That's it. The rest, they had farm tools. No, No weapons, no problem. God just turned the Philistines on themselves. God caused such a confusion to come into the camp that they wound up killing themselves. And then the Israelites went in after them. No weapons, no problem. I have to remind myself of this every Sunday when I stand up and I think, I can't do this. I'm inadequate. I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I should have more schooling. No weapons, no resources. 
no problem. God's got this. And you're in those situations a lot, aren't you? Where you feel inadequate, where you feel like you don't have what it takes for the situation in front of you. There's an ocean in front of you and you're sitting on a spoon hoping to last. God says, no problem. I've got you. That's how God works for us. That's how God works as a result of our faith. Contrast Saul. Now Saul's watchman in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. And they went here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, number now and see who has gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. You get this, how crazy this is? There is a battle in Saul's backyard. The Philistines are running away and he can move and he says, let's do a roll call and find out who caused this. Well, there's only one reason. He wants to know either who's gonna get the credit for this victory or who disobeyed me, who went against orders. This is crazy. And then Saul said to Ahijah the priest, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God was at, the time, was at that time with the sons of Israel. While Saul talked to the priest, the commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase, more and more confusion. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hands. So what's happening here? Saul gets religious. He does. He's, he's like, okay, well, well, there's this battle. Let's call for the roll. Oh, no, Jonathan did it. Okay, well, you know what? Let's go to the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll go to the Ark of the Covenant. And remember the last time the Israelites looked to take the Ark of the Covenant into the battle? It didn't go pretty well for them, did it? No, in fact, they were defeated. They were defeated, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. Why is he going back to the Ark of the Covenant? Why is he stuck with this old priesthood? Why does he keep doing this? He keeps going there over and over and over. And, and so it's, it's ridiculous when you think of Saul's actions in this. God is doing something and Saul misses it completely. And Saul's just worried about his own reputation and if the people are gonna love him. Saul and the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very, very great confusion. So Saul did rally the people. They went and started chasing him, but it was the Philistine swords that were killing the Philistines. The point of all of this, the point of all of this is that God wants a heart of faith. He wants you to have a heart of faith. We have today the contrast of two men. Two men, both of whom move ahead. One moves ahead of God, and one moves ahead with God. One who moves ahead because of fear, he's afraid so he won't wait on God, and one who moves ahead because he has faith and he believes God will do the work. Similar actions. Very similar, they both do the same thing, but one is pleasing to God and one is not. And it's because even though it was the same action of moving ahead, their hearts were in different places. And that's the lesson for us in this. It's about our hearts. It's always about our hearts. 
you will hear me say that probably every week as we preach through 1 Samuel because it's all about the heart. God wants our whole heart. Do we know God enough to give him our whole heart? Do we know God enough to trust him with the difficulties in our lives? Are we willing to acknowledge that he truly is powerful and sovereign and loves us so much that he will work on our behalf? Are we willing to follow him? I want to look at one final piece here. Now the Hebrews, who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines had fled, even they pursued them closely in battle. For the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond beth So, you know those people who defected to the Philistine army? Well, now that God's winning the war, they go back. They go back to Israel. Those are the cop-outs. They copped out when the going got tough, and now they're coming back for God. And then all those people that were hiding, those are the hideouts. When they see Israel start to win, well, they come out too. You see, they lacked the faith. And so some were were traitors, they went to the other side, and some were just scared and hid. But the point is that they came back, and God says, welcome. Welcome back, you cop out. Welcome back, you hide out. Welcome back, you scared Christian. Welcome back, come back and learn from me and learn of faith. You see, this is all about faith. It's all about faith in God. Do we believe that God will win? And that God will, when he wins, it might not look like what I want. It might not be my victory necessarily, but it will be his victory when we have faith. So we're called to faith. And and here's the thing. I'm so tempted to end this sermon by saying, don't be a Saul, be a Jonathan. Don't be fearful like Saul, be faithful like Jonathan. But this passage isn't even about that. This passage is about God. That God is the victor. That God wants our whole heart. And he wants us to trust in him and put our faith in him even when the circumstances are horrible, when, when things around us look so desperate that there's no way we should win. And God says, just believe. Just believe in me, just trust in me. And that's his call to us today. I was talking to a friend about this message And she said this to me, she said, God receives the greatest glory when we see things at their worst and still see God and trust that God will work. That's really true. You know, we wanna be like Jonathan, we get that. We wanna be like Jonathan, but we're a little of both sometimes, aren't we all? Every one of us. We've all been cop-outs, we've all been hideouts, we've all been Jonathan and Saul, and, and even the apostle Peter experienced this. You remember this, when Jesus comes to the, the stormy boat on the, the Sea of Galilee, and he's walking on the water, and Peter looks out and he said, Jesus, if that's you, call me and I'll come to you. And Jesus said, it's me, come. 
Peter jumps in the water and he's got his eyes on Jesus and he's walking. But as soon as he looks somewhere else, looks at the waves and sees how, how turbulent it is and how dangerous it is, he starts to sink. You see, this is a call to faith. But you and I, we, we can maybe conjure it up, we can maybe manufacture it, but it's not going to last. Where do we get faith from? From Jesus. Jesus, who is the author of our faith, which means the beginning of our faith, and the perfecter, which means the completer of our faith. In other words, Jesus starts our faith, finishes our faith, he's all in between. What are we called to do? I can't conjure that up. Fix my eyes on Jesus. Fix my eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. See, that's the call today, is to get our eyes on Jesus. There are circumstances that each one of us are in that we look around and we say, it's too big for me. It's more than I can handle. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the weapons. I don't have the boat. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the faith. I don't have the courage. And Jesus is saying, you have me. You're my covenant person. I have died for you on the cross. Fix your eyes here. Look at Jesus. Just keep it there. Show me your faith and I will fight the battle for you. And that's the call today. We're going to close in prayer and, and I've asked several, several people to come up here and be ready to pray with you because today would be a wonderful day if you've been a cop out to say, nah, I know the side I've been on is not winning really and I wanna come back to the Lord. Cop outs, come forward. Maybe you've been hiding. Maybe you've been scared. I, I've been afraid to say this or afraid to speak up. I've been, been afraid to obey. Hideouts, come forward. Come pray. Maybe you just need more faith. Maybe you just need to get your, your eyes, which have been all over, just more zeroed in on Jesus. Come forward and pray with the counselors who will be up front here, ready to pray with you. Don't let today leave without making a commitment to the Lord to be more like Jonathan, only to say that because Jonathan had his eyes in the right place. He saw God, and we need to see God, have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, and the perfecter, the completer of our faith. Would you pray with me now? Oh Lord, we as a church want to be a church of Jonathan's, a church who see the turmoil around us and say, no problem, God, we are your people. We are your covenant people. You have saved us by your grace, by your cross. You have changed who we are and made us aliens now in this world. Oh Lord, don't let us defect to the world again. Lord, don't let us hide from the rock solid truth. Oh Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. 
Help us to be a church that sees God moving and we move there with God. Lord, let us move ahead in faith and not out of fear. Let us move ahead by obedience and not disobedience. Let us move ahead with the Lord and not ahead of the Lord. Oh Lord, we surely need you for all this. None of us has that in us. So do your work in our hearts now, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? And as you, as you leave, if, if you would like to come and pray, just come forward and, and our counselors will pray with you. And uh, we just wanna thank you for being with us this morning. Go in the faith that God has for you. It's not beyond you because it's God's. It's his faith. Now trust in him. Amen.